the profoundness of what MAF is. We serve the most isolated people in communities that don't have access to basic human needs like medical attention and doctors and medicines and more than that, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. President and CEO of Mission Aviation Fellowship, John Boyd, will be our guest today on First Person. Welcome, everyone, to this week's program. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Be sure to visit our website when you get a chance for more information about today's guest and the great service that MAF provides around the world. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. We'll talk more about it today, but there's a very special offer waiting for you at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, very recently, I was invited to spend a couple of days with a team at the headquarters of Mission Aviation Fellowship in Nampa, Idaho. Like many of you, I had heard much about the ministry of MAF through the years, starting with the story of Nate Saint, who, along with four other missionary men, were martyred in 1956 by the Alcas in Ecuador. Well, at the offices and training facility in Idaho, I met with John Boyd, who leads MAF today. John's own story of coming to faith in Christ and ultimately serving in missions is pretty exciting, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you today. As we began, now John was born in Scotland, and I made the comment that it's a long ways from Scotland to Idaho. It is indeed, but you know, if I look back historically at where Scotland came from as a country who sent some of the greatest Christian leaders and missionaries out, it, it surprised me more than anyone that I'd be sitting here talking with you today. Really? Uh, based at our headquarters in Idaho. My my mum and dad left Scotland when I was a three-year-old and went to Rhodesia. My dad was an engineer on the railroad system to help develop the railroads in the Rhodesias. So I grew up in Africa. Uh, I don't have a Scots accent, as most people anticipate. It's more of a British, as my wife says, a little confused accent, <laughs> but that's okay. So it's more British than that. So yeah, well, I, given I, what's going on between Scotland and England anyway, oh, you, you fit right in, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so I grew up in a British colony in Africa, um, managed to graduate high school, but that's about as far as I got educationally, but opted for a career in law enforcement. Mm. And I joined the British South Africa Police, where I spent nearly 10 years. And that was the same time as the Rhodesian Terrorist War. So there was somewhat of a schizophrenia that went mm. on. Uh, I was a police officer and fighting a jungle war. And at the same time, not a Christian. Hmm. I wasn't a believer. But the, the war and everything I saw as a young policeman really, really jaundiced me to human nature. And what I saw and the depravity of what humans could do to humans was profound to me, even in light of the fact I was, I was a jolly heathen at the hmm. time. Hmm. And so that career, I think, looking back on God's plan for my life, really brought me to a point of understanding that there must have been more to life than what I was living, but I didn't see it at that stage in mm -hmm. my life. Uh, my police career was very gratifying. I like helping people. I like being of aid and assistance. And I can see God's hand in my later years, but the police career was interesting. Um, the country at the time was going through its throes of independence, and I chose to resign my commission and left. And then, ladies, if you're listening today, here's a change in my life. I went from being a law enforcement police officer special weapons and tactics, an undercover drug squad detective for a time, to going to the fashion industry. <laughs> now, if you can figure that one that's out. That's a stretch. That is a stretch. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> but you know what? That's, that's where I cut my teeth on management. Hmm. 
and learning huge amounts about how how strange people really are and how different people are and how different people have different values. So was that causing you to ask questions spiritually? Not that early. Not that early in my career. Not but things were churning in your life. You know, then. things had been churning for a while. But I went into the industry, initially in the retail side of it, and did very well. I rose through the corporate ranks, and not forgetting now, I'm still not a believer. Mm -hmm. I'm your atypical, arrogant, heathen male, <laughs> and probably a little chauvinistic at the same time. But I did well in my career. I really did, and eventually ended up being the chief executive officer of a fashion company. Now, that was pretty splendid to me. It really was. You know, I traveled the world for my career. I traveled to all the countries and the places that people love to go. It was business or first-class air travel. It was limousines. It was um, dining with uh, people like Calvin Klein, whose name some people know. Yeah, that's, it that's was pretty sweet lifestyle. It was, oh, my gravy. I mean, I did. I mean, I was doing rather well. I got to the age of 38, and this is where the Lord Jesus really came into my life, unbeknownst to me. Because I'm one of the few people I know, I think, who didn't have a conversion experience because of what someone told me or at a church. Mine was sitting in my large executive office one day in January of 1988 when I had achieved humanly everything that I thought a human could. I mean, I really was rather wealthy. Uh, I was 37 years old at the time and had it all. There was this depth of emptiness, though, that I could not put my finger on. And shortly after lunch, one day in January of 1988, after having secured a huge contract for our company, the emptiness was overwhelming. Hmm. And I suddenly felt, and it was a feeling, I guess, and it wasn't a voice per se, it was that something said to me that my life was about to change. And I obviously shrugged it off in my arrogance, but later that afternoon, the feeling persisted and pervaded that I needed to go and buy a Bible. This is exactly as it happened. I still get goosebumps today. It's I really goosebumps it. to me right now to I hear mean, you tell it. It's fascinating. <laughs> I reflect on that. I really do when times get tough. Yeah. And I, I obviously, because I'm sitting here talking to you today, Wayne, I, have, I responded to that. And I drove my car into the city of Cape Town, South Africa, where I was living at the time, and was absolutely clueless about where one would buy a Bible. I mean, what would I know? <laughs> and I parked my car in the parking garage that I always used, and I started walking into the city. And half a block from the parking garage, guess what I stumbled upon? A Christian, Christian bookstore. Book of course. And I went in, and a dear elderly lady uh, served me and asked me what I wanted. I said, well, I'd like to buy a Bible, please. And she said, well, what kind? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> and this dear lady sold me my very first Bible, which I really do have today, uh, an NIV version. And then as I was paying, I said, have you, have you just opened this store? And she said, no, sir, we've been here for 17 years. I had walked past that shop and never noticed hundreds of times and had subliminally excluded it from right. my peripheral vision right. Right. because I just didn't want to go in. Until the spirit. Until the spirit yeah. moved. Yeah. That evening, I went home to my rather large executive home on my own and started reading my new book at page one. Needless to say, it was rather difficult <laughs> to work through the book, but I did. I persevered. Genesis is not bad. It's not but bad. <laughs> Get into Exodus and Numbers. Leviticus. Leviticus. But I did. I started reading 
at page one. And I, I just was, I was driven to read the Bible. And I eventually got to, uh, to John. And it wasn't John 3.16 that jumped out at me. It was John 3.17. But shortly after that, I was leaving for an overseas trip. And I left my Bible at home and I traveled. And my normal pattern for my travel was dine at the finest restaurants, be seen with the right people, wear the right clothing, do everything that you think the world's looking at. And I did to some extent, but there was a change to my demeanor. I'd still not accepted Christ at that point. And I just, there was, it didn't attract me at all. Hmm. In fact, I went to these functions unwillingly, really, but I knew I had to because it was my job. You went in with your eyes open this I, time. Well, it started to. And I got back to South Africa, to Cape Town, and, and finished reading my new book. And it was a New Testament and many parts of it that really grabbed my attention. What's John 3.17 say? Yeah, John 3.17 was the verse particularly that jumped out for me, and I'll paraphrase it, for God did not come to condemn the world. And those were the words that jumped out at me because at that point I still hadn't accepted Christ. But I was sensing in my spirit, I guess, because that's what it was, it was the Holy Spirit, that, that this is really, this is really something. And that's the verse above all of them that I do recall that jumped out to me. And some weeks later, I went to some friends who know me or knew me very well and my lifestyle. And I sat with them for a couple of hours. And uh, my friend had just got married and I hadn't met his new wife. And about five hours into the conversation, they re and I was a bachelor, they asked me to stay for dinner. And I stayed for dinner. And during dinner, I had the courage to ask them, if they went to church. Now, I didn't know they did, but mm -hmm. my friend Rod had changed so much. In fact, I can use the word, I thought he'd become a wuss because <laughs> he'd really mellowed and changed. And that was when, at that point in my life, when my friend Rod's jaw dropped and Joreen, his new wife, she started tearing up. I thought, oh dear, what have I done? Mm. And they said, yes, we do. And I said, well, may I go with you tomorrow? And I went with them to church the next evening and I heard the gospel preached for the first time in my life. I was nearly 38 years old. And I don't recall it, but some Sundays after that, at an altar call, I walked forward and accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. You cannot make up a story that would supersede what you've just told me, John. That is remarkable. Who but God Amen to could, that. could do that in a person's yes, life? Amen to that. God's spirit to your spirit. And that's why I take such comfort in the fact that for all the failings that I have or we all have, God has a unique plan. And Wayne, if I may at this point, I would like to say to the listeners, never, ever, ever stop praying for those you think are lost causes. It may be family, friends, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, children. Don't stop praying. Because I discovered after I'd accepted Christ, there was a group of men praying for me through my friend Rod. Never give up praying. My gravy, when I get to eternity and I see some of those gentlemen, I will thank them from my heart. We'll continue this conversation with John Boyd and learn about Mission Aviation Fellowship coming up today on First Person. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for a special announcement. We'll be telling you about an opportunity to learn more about Mission Aviation Fellowship. 
One of its earliest pilots was Nate Saint, who along with four other brave missionary men were martyred, killed by Alcas in Ecuador. But of course, the story didn't end there, giving us one of the most inspiring accounts ever of God at work. Nate's story is told in the book Jungle Pilot, and we'll have more at the end of today's program. My guest on First Person today is John Boyd, who is president and CEO of Mission Aviation Fellowship. You've just heard John's personal testimony, and I, I would like to ask you about a thousand follow-up questions to that, John, but we're going to have to save that for another time because I have a lot more questions about what God has called you to do, and that is now to serve alongside so many wonderful servants of the Lord at Mission Aviation Fellowship. Let's talk about MAF and uh, its origins, how it started, and, and then we'll talk about its ministry today. Well, thanks for this opportunity again. You know, Wayne, I, I think if people listening, listeners understand that God has a plan for each of us uniquely in this world, and, and most times, most times we don't know what it is. And I'll say that about myself. I could never, ever have dreamt or predicted that I might be sitting here talking to you today <laughs> as the president and CEO of Mission Aviation Fellowship. You couldn't have written that script? <laughs> Who could have written that script? I'm telling you now, Hollywood could not have figured this sucker out. <laughs> There's no way that I could have predicted I would have the privilege and the honor of doing this today. But looking back, you've got to see how God prepared you for the assignment. In many ways, yes, but that came later on You know, as, as things emerged. In, in my young Christian walk, I still had no idea. But I'd like to preface some of what we're going to say by this. Six or eight months before I became a believer, a friend of mine gave me a book to read because he knew I loved flying. I was a private pilot back then, and the book was called Jungle Pilot. Is that right? Six or eight months before I became a Christian and knew about it. So, God, you're right. He was preparing yeah. the ground, but I was such a dodo. All right, I got to pause you because we're going to have an exciting announcement about the book Jungle Pilot before we're finished here today. So stay tuned for that announcement. But Jungle Pilot is the biography, really, of Nate Saint, one of the martyred missionaries in Ecuador in 1956, Six. along with Jim Elliott and, and the other men as well. So we'll, we'll make that announcement in a few minutes. But it was Jungle Pilot. I didn't know it was Jungle Pilot in your life. That, is the, that was the catalytic event that actually was the reason, I believe, that God planted in my heart to bring me to MAF today. Hmm. And I sit here with you. So yeah, that was the catalyst. So okay. fast forward, we need to fast forward yeah. here. MAF's founding was really in, in, in Ecuador and a few other places. A right? few other places, yeah. yeah. Way back way back in the 40s. So yes, so MAF as a ministry and a mission is, is celebrating 70 years of ministry uh, in 2015. So a rich history of of, of, of God leading and people responding and being obedient to the call. And that's where my story comes in about being obedient to a call of the Lord, which at the time I, I thought was so off the wall, it was ludicrous. Hmm. But if you remember my testimony... How does, could I forget how, it? <laughs> yeah, how does God not use what he wants to use and, and whom he chooses? Right. The Lord chooses those whom he, he wills to do his bidding. And what's astounding to me is from looking back at MAF's history and using aviation and, and now technology to reach isolated people for Christ. And then I look back at my world travels and I reflected in my years in the fashion industry of going to these mega cities and staying in five-star hotels and walking two streets away where are the slums. Mm. 
And that's the profoundness of what MAF is. We serve the most isolated people in communities that don't have access, don't have access to basic human needs like medical attention and doctors and medicines and water and, and, and more than that, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you fly the gospel in in many forms, in many ways, by helping missionaries and doctors and all kinds of organizations. That's, that's the mission of Mission Aviation Fellowship. You know, primarily, yes, but MAF pilots, technicians and wives and children are front, frontline missionaries on the field because they yeah. are the first people to have contact with many of these villages that we, we serve. Right. And so I know from my time as an MAF pilot, that's exactly, that's exactly what MAF does. We skipped that whole part of the, the chapter of the story with you as an MAF pilot. Again, we'll have to go back to that sometime. But how large is the fleet that MAF has around the world? Yes, today, globally, MAF is a very extensive, complex set of uh, mechanisms that enable us to manage and lead a fleet of aircraft in the world. And at any one time, as we speak today, we have 138 aircraft, 138 operational. I cannot think of a more expensive proposition than a fleet of 138 aircraft with all the attending mechanics, pilots, ground personnel, fuel costs, plane costs. I mean, that's a very expensive proposition. It is It is a highly capital-intense proposition. But when one digests for just a moment the impact that one aircraft can have on the lives of so many in terms of their physical and their spiritual upliftment, the costs really this side of eternity are small. But it is, there's yeah, no doubt, it's a, it's a challenge to resource a ministry right. like MAF. But what are the results? Tell me a story or two. I know you've got a hundred and more, but tell me a couple of stories of how God is using MAF today. Oh, you're setting me up well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let, let, let's consider for a moment that probably one of the best stories I can give you is as a personal witness personal testimony for what I experienced on the field as an MAF pilot. And I'll give just one cameo story, if I may. Mm -hmm. And it concerns a medical emergency flight of an MAF aircraft and a pilot who went into a remote village in northern Haiti to pick up a critically burned patient. And that pilot happened to be me that day. Mm. And to fly this little airplane into a remote airstrip, which was 22 minutes flying time away. But by road in May, if you could, could take you two days. Yeah. 22 minutes. Unknowing to me who the burned patient was. But we were reaching out with that cup of cold water to do what MAF does because the relationships that we can build through these kind of operations are huge for the kingdom. So I arrived at this airstrip. The airplane taxis to a halt and I shut the engine down and the silence just (coughs) overwhelming. And I'm waiting on this airstrip and nobody's arrived yet. And through through the bushes, I see this group of people coming with this, it's not a body, but with someone on a, on a makeshift stretcher. And about 100 feet away, I could smell the stench of burnt flesh. And I started praying, Lord, give me grace. Just give me the grace. Give me the compassion to deal with this person. And they brought him forward. And we'd already had the stretcher placed in the little 206 airplane. And a group of villagers surrounded the airplane. And as I helped load this man on, I could see his eyes. He was conscious. He was burnt over about 70% of his body, and it was an exploding kerosene um, stove. Mm-hmm. And his eyes looked at me, and there was a, I, I know he was in a lot of pain, but there was like a deadness to them. Mm. 
So I asked, and it was all in French, French Creole, I asked who the man was. And out of the, the group, a, a local pastor came forward, and he said to me in French, Frère Jean, Brother John, this is the local voodoo priest. Really? And I got goosebumps. <laughs> I'm looking at all of you. I got goosebumps. <laughs> and I thought, this is why MF is here. We're going to show love to this person in a physical way. I asked if he had any family that would like to travel with him to the mission hospital. And his wife came forward, and she was a tiny wee lady, and I strapped her into the airplane. And I flew another 12 minutes over in impassable areas, no roads, to a mission hospital and dropped that man off that day. I don't know. I confess to you, I don't know what eventually happened. Mm -hmm. But I do know this, that I had been called to reach out to lost and hurting people physically and spiritually. And that obedience prayerfully helped that voodoo priest and whomever else to take a step towards Jesus. How do you find the personnel that you need to operate these planes and to conduct the ministry? I think resourcing any ministry is a challenge. For Mission Aviation Fellowship, because we're a technical ministry and we have aviation as one of the components, it's even more of a challenge. But here's the upside. God provides the people. And they are. They are highly trained. So our prayers are continually, Lord, please continue to provide for MAF, not only financially, but through the people who are called to go and be obedient to your command as the Great Commission. Well, the story of Mission Aviation Fellowship is so exciting to me. And for me to be here at the headquarters and to meet you and to talk with you so briefly, we're going to have to have this conversation again and carry on here, John, in the future. But there is this announcement we want to make today. You mentioned Jungle Pilot and yes. how the Lord used that book to really grab your attention and to set your heart and set the course for your life. We want to make that book available to our listeners in audio form. Now, you've given me the privilege of narrating Jungle Pilot, and we're going to make that audio book available as a free download for our listeners today. And I'm so excited about that. Oh, my goodness. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it transcends excitement because to make that available in audio form to anyone who'd like, and it's much easier to get than buying the book today, although yes. we do have them. And for folk to actually download and, and listen to what happened all those years ago. And you think generationally, MAF's, MAF is uh, celebrating 70 years, our 70th birthday next year. Nothing's changed. We're still about the Great Commission. But it's more about being faithful to God's call, being obedient right where you are, and being part of God's Great Commission just how you can, in whichever way it is. It may never, ever be going as an MAF pilot, but the inspirational story... I pray will change the hearts and lives of so many. I'll have all the details on how to get the audiobook version of Jungle Pilot in just a moment. But again, John, thank you to you and your whole staff here at MAF. It's been a wonderful time together. And thank you because you are part of the Great Commission getting the good news out. What fun to talk with John Boyd today of Mission Aviation Fellowship. I have teamed up with MAF to offer you something quite special today, the classic book Jungle Pilot, telling the life story of early MAF pilot Nate Saint. It's a great introduction to this exciting mission. But until now, the book has only been in print. But that has just changed as MAF invited me to narrate Jungle Pilot and offer it to you as a free audiobook download. You'll be fascinated as I was to learn more about Nate's life, but also about the joys and perils of missionary aviation. How do you get this audiobook edition of Jungle Pilot? Just go to firstpersoninterview.com, follow the link provided, or click on the MAF Jungle Pilot banner there. You'll then be directed how to download a free audiobook edition of Jungle Pilot. We're very thankful to MAF for making this available by way of first person 
and I hope you'll take advantage of it. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com and pass the word along to others who may want the audiobook as well. Next week, former Vietnamese POW Lee Ellis will join us. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again for First Person. Thank you.